Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Before we go into the main part of the show, I want to let you know about a new online PR course for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs that I'm running. It's called Vegans in the Limelight and it starts in June. That's 2017 if you're listening in the future. And you'll learn how to get free publicity by getting yourself featured in the media on a regular basis. Now the course is particularly for vegan professionals who can't afford to hire a PR firm or a publicist at the moment. And I'm running it because I see so many vegan business owners, authors and entrepreneurs missing out on golden opportunities to get into the media, either because they're not confident in approaching journalists because they don't have the skills or they're pitching the media the wrong way. So I'm going to share with you the strategies and techniques for how to do your own PR. The course is tailored specifically for vegan business owners, so there'll be downloadable templates, case studies and bite-sized video training. You'll be able to post questions on the learning platform, which I'll personally respond to, and there'll also be three live group calls you can jump on to ask me anything about getting into the media, and I'll give you answers specifically for your business. So you're not going to be left to struggle along on your own with the course. So if you're keen to get your vegan brand in the limelight, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where there's a link to the course with all the details. And I'll also put the link on the show notes page. In this episode, I interview Ron Prasad, a communications and public speaking trainer and author from Impetus Success in Melbourne, Australia. Ron has provided coaching and public speaking training to CEOs, professional sports people and Aboriginal youth. He's also a popular keynote speaker and MC, leading audiences of all sizes from small groups and corporate meetings to those numbering in the thousands. His expertise as a keynote speaker lies in personal development, sales and service and effective communication. Ron is the author of Welcome to Your Life, Simple Insights for Your Inspiration and Empowerment, which received praise from several luminaries in the personal development field, including author and teacher from the movie The Secret, Bob Proctor, best-selling author Jack Canfield, and Dr. Phil's money expert, Laurel Langemeyer. Passionate about empowering people in the animal advocacy community, Ron's been a speaker and MC at a range of animal rights and vegan events across Australia, and he's also the co-founder of the Beat Bullying with Confidence Foundation, a charity whose goal is to support people who are being bullied at school and in the workplace. In this interview, Ron talks about how he became an in-demand successful speaker despite having a speech impediment, the key mistakes business owners make in regards to public speaking, how to decide if and when you should speak for free, and if you do, how to create a win-win situation for all parties, five steps to selling from the stage without being sleazy, tips for telling a memorable story, what you need in your speaker kit, how to approach high-profile people for advanced praise or to write a foreword for your book, and much more. Here's the interview with Ron Prasad of Impetus Success. Hello, Ron. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Katrina. How are you going? Oh, very good. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you because you're one of the people who I find so inspirational. You do so much for the vegan and the animal rights community and also uh, your anti-bullying charity that you've got. Um, You're a wonderful speaker. I've heard you speak a few times. So I'm really excited to be uh, chatting with you today. So let's um, get into the first question I ask everybody, as regular listeners will know, is the why. So 
what are the drivers for running your business? And I know you do various things. You do speaking, you do coaching, both life coaching, executive coaching, as well as running your, your charity. So in terms of your business, Ron, what's your why? Why do you do it? The the why for the business, Katrina, there's a few uh, reasons that come up to my mind. And the first one has to be the flexibility factor, being your own boss, as they used to say. And that's arguably the primary reason for doing my business. And the second reason is the passion that I have for what I do, like you mentioned, speaking and writing and my anti-bullying work. So it's the passion combined with being who you are and what you want to be together. That's the driving force. And in my field, being a speaker, trainer, writer, it's it's so rewarding seeing positive changes in the people or the companies that I work with. Mm, got it. Yeah, for sure. I like that. You've got a multi-passionate why or a yes. multi-pronged yes. why. I like yes. that. That's Indeed. great. So we touched on speaking, as I mentioned. You, you're a, an amazing speaker. So as well as being a motivational speaker yourself, you also train others to be great speakers and communicators. So I'd like to dig in, if it's okay with you, a little bit around speaking and to provide some tips for our listeners um, on how they can be better speakers. So let's start off with what would you say some of the key mistakes are that business owners and entrepreneurs make when they're speaking in public? The first mistake they make is not speaking at all. That's the first mistake they would make. <laughs> That's a good Seriously. One. <laughs> it's not speaking at all. I forgot who it was. There was a marketing expert uh, whose seminar I attended many, many years ago. And if his name comes to my head, I will let you know. He said that uh, one of the best ways to get publicity is by speaking and writing, right? Speaking and writing. And unfortunately, most people who have got businesses do not do that. Now, I totally understand that for not every business owner will have the opportunity to go out there and speak, right? So it can be, it, it's more like a case-to-case basis. My point is that if you have a service or a product that you firmly believe in and you know that people will get lots of value from it, why not tell people about it? You know, look for opportunities to present. And in terms of the vegan community, there are so many opportunities out there, you know, vegan events, World Vegan Day, for example, and uh, there are so many vegan events in even in uh, small country towns now, vegan events are taking place and they are always looking for speakers. So get up there and start talking. That's number one. Second mistake people make is that they think that they have to sound like a professional radio announcer or a TV <laughs> newsreader. And that is not the case. I mean, I have got a speech impediment. I have to go and hire a speech coach and spend thousands of dollars to, you know, get some help. And now I get up in front of audiences as large as 2,000 in our talk. So some people think that you have to have a certain voice type, a certain tone. You have to sound in a certain way in order to speak in public. That's not the case. Now, Katrina, one thing that I must address is this. Public speaking is the number one fear in Western society, right? Mm. And I remember in, in an episode of Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld said that most people at a funeral would rather be in the casket than reading the eulogy <laughs> because they are so scared of public speaking. So if people are scared of public speaking, the first thing I suggest is you have to get over that fear. And one of the reasons for getting over the fear is to focus on the why. Why should you get over the fear? And you give yourself reason because I will get publicity for my business. It will be personal growth for me. It will be professional growth for me. Followed by, and now I'm talking more like a coach, not a speaker here, followed by what is the opportunity cost? What is the opportunity cost? So if I don't overcome the fear, what will happen? I will miss out on opportunities for speaking. I will miss out on opportunities for spreading my brand awareness and how good my product or my service or my brand is. So my suggestion to any business owner out there who is scared of public speaking or who thinks that they can't do it, 
give yourself reasons as to why you must do it. Mm, yeah, that's really good advice, actually, because I think so many people, yeah, they do kind of shy away from it. Uh, so that, that's excellent advice. What about, Ron, for business owners and entrepreneurs who do get up there and speak? What are mm-hmm. some of the mistakes you see them making? Uh, the biggest mistake, Katrina, people who are speaking is they are very, very eye-focused. I can do this. I can do that. It's all about the customer. It's not about you. So I think when you interviewed me for your book, you and I spoke about this, and it's all about you and what I can do for you. It's all about you. Anyone can stand up and say, my product is so good. I can do this. I can do that. It's not about you. It's about your prospect. It's about your prospective customer. What is it that your product or your service can do for them? So remove yourself from the picture and imagine sitting in the audience. What would you like to hear in order to buy your product or your service? Mm, that's excellent advice, and I do remember when we did our interview, you did talk about that, and it, and it is, and it's so easy for us, isn't it, because we're passionate yes. about our products and our services, but it, it, that's such a good tip to actually put yourself in the, and I do that when I teach people how to approach the media, I teach them yes. to put themselves in the position of the journalist yes. and give them what they want, and I think that's so appropriate that you have to put yourself in the audience as well, and yeah, the last thing you want is someone doing like a mega sales pitch, so right. that's great, thank you. So, Ron, there are some conflicting ideas around speaking. Now, some people say it doesn't matter what you say as long as you do it confidently because audiences are attracted to confidence. Now, others, including the TED Speaker book, which I've started reading recently, actually, say that you must have something worth saying. So what are your thoughts on this? 100%. 100%. I mean, as, as I was saying before, that most people are scared of public speaking, So when you get up and speak in front of an audience, that's only half the battle won. Because in this day and age, Katrina, in this day and age of technology and, you know, media, people are bombarded with so much information. And I forgot, last I heard was like every day, the this is not verbatim, but the figures are something along these lines. Every day, the average person in Western society gets bombarded with two million bits of information, right? Gosh. And the average person can only absorb seven bits of information at a time. So people's attention spans are reducing, are getting shorter. And according to many studies done, the average audience member will make up their mind about a speaker within the first three seconds. Within the first three seconds, they will say to themselves, okay, this person is worth listening to or not. So getting up there is a good thing. You know, you are separating yourself from the masses who are not doing this. The point I'm making is this. Now, once you're up there, there's another battle on your hands. How do you hold the attention of the audience and how do you get to believe, get them to believe, sorry, what you are saying? Because my, my take is this. Everyone who gives a speech or a presentation is there to influence the audience to do something, to take some action, right? Yeah. So as a business owner, your goal is to get them to buy or try your product or your service, right? So if you get up there, you have to give them something of value. Give them something of value. Confidence itself will not sell it. Confidence itself will not sell it. And the formula that I use when I go and give speeches or even when, I, when I'm pitching something to a company, let's just say XYZ Proprietary Limited wants me to come and provide effective communication, goal setting, conflict resolution, and time management courses to their staff and they've got offices all over the country, right? When I pitch to them, this is the formula I'll use. One, and this is not mine, by the way, many marketing experts have come up with this. One, state a problem. So in this day and age, the average white-collar worker is stressed for time, emails, meetings, deadlines. Two, aggravate the problem. A lot of white-collar workers are staying back because they don't have enough time during the day, so now they are missing out on family time, their gym time or sports time. So you aggravate the problem. Three, you offer a solution. So in my case, I would say with our time management course, 
your staff will realize how easy it is to get your tasks accomplished within that 9 to 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. time frame. Four, offer them a solution. So which is that solution, right? The one that I'm talking about. And finally, give them a call to action. When you buy this, when you buy my course within the next seven days, you'll get a bonus follow-up or refresher course in the next month or something like that. So my point is, when you get up there, you have to be confident. You must be able to sell them something that they will believe in. They will believe in. And one of the best ways of doing that is to tell them a story because human beings are so wired to hear stories and believe them and act on them. You have to tell them a story. So if you're a business owner, you must have a few what I call success stories that you can share with people. They will listen to it and they'll go, wow, that's me. That's my life. That's my problem. That's my story. I need to be part of that solution. Mm. Can you give us some tips on how to tell a good story, Ron? Tell a good story. One, it has to be personal. Okay, I do not tell stories which are secondhand. I ha- you have to tell a you have to tell a personal story. Second thing is this: I try and avoid making making somebody look bad. So, for example, if I am giving a speech at a conference and they give me five minutes to sell one of my products or my services, and I start talking about once again the time management course, so I will not say that. I did this, I delivered this course at XYZ company in Brisbane, Sydney, Perth, Adelaide and Hobart. And there was one worker who was so bad that he was getting written warning after written warning because he was just lagging behind. He could not manage time. It's never, ever a good thing to make somebody look bad. It's always good to make people look good. So make it, turn it around and go. So there was this one worker, let's just call him John Smith, who had a few challenges with time. And once he did this time management course, he was able, not only able to achieve his uh, cutoffs or deadlines on time, he had more time on his hand to go and help his colleagues to do the same thing. He was helping. Now, prior to this course, he was asking his colleagues for help. And now after doing this time management course, he was helping his colleagues because he was on top of things all the time. When you tell a story, you must end the story on a good note that will make people realize that if they invest in your product or your service, they will feel good at the end. Mm. Now, what about if, because that's really good advice, like for example, particularly for the type of talks and their particular type of talks where you do get to kind of do a non-sleazy pitch at the end. But there are also some kind of talks where you maybe don't necessarily do a pitch, but just by being there, you know, you're up there and you're sharing value and you're, you know, positioning yourself as an expert. How do you decide what kind of stories to to use and 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 just to frame them? Sure. So if I'm giving a speech at a conference, let's just say it's a corporate breakfast for financial planners, right? And they have paid me good money and they said, look, you can't sell anything. This is just purely an informational type of speech. What I will do is I will put some stories in there and let's just go back to effective communication. And I'll say what I was doing once was I was coaching this financial planning practice in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne And the one lesson that I learned from this coaching experience, and by the way, they hired me to coach them for effective communication because all their financial planners were getting up on stage to deliver presentations at retirement planning seminars or wealth creation seminars. And they hired me to make them more effective speakers who can sell their product, who could sell the service. And the one lesson that I learned from coaching this financial planning practice is that everyone has got what it takes to be an effective communicator. It's just that people doubt themselves and all it takes is one person to help them with some strategies to overcome the fear of public speaking and some more strategies to tell our story convincingly on stage and that's it. That's all that has to be done. So now I'm not selling my product, but I have made mention that I do this. Now, if it's a financial planner's breakfast and there are 200 financial planners listening to me talk and some of them have got staff members or themselves are scared of public speaking and they know that they have to present at a retirement planning seminar in one month's time, what's the first thing that will be going through their head? 
oh, can I do it? Can I really do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? Uh, who can help me? Uh, I need to do this. Something like that. So I, I will be subtle in planting the seed about what I do and how I can help them, but I will not go into a full sales pitch. So tell a story. So tell a story about how you have helped somebody solve a problem and just make mention that you are in the business of solving that problem. Mm-hmm. Got it. That's good. Thank you. Now, you touched on the fear, the fear of public speaking. I think one of the things is um, there are a lot of people, and I was like, I used to be like this. I'm not so much now because uh, I've, I've developed certain techniques, but a lot of people are worried that they will forget what they're going to say and go blank when they're in front of an audience. So they want to hang on to their notes or, you know, some kind of other visual aid. What advice and strategies could you offer them? Well, let's first start off with the fear of public speaking. I don't think it's the fear of public speaking that holds people back. It's the fear of looking bad in front of an audience. And that's the one thing that most people are scared of. Now, it's very, very challenging to memorize a one-hour speech, for example, and I do it all the time. I cannot function with notes or PowerPoint slides or stand behind a lectern and talk. Katrina, you have seen me talk. I move around. Yeah. I get the audience involved. I do not refer to notes. I, and it's very challenging. So what I do, for example, if I'm asked to give a one-hour keynote speech at a conference, I will ask them for minimum one month notice. And in that month, I will practice that speech at least 30 times until it becomes a part of my subconscious mind. And If it's a big stage where I'll be moving around, every single movement will be tailored to every single word that's coming out of my mouth. Now, this has taken almost a decade of research, study, practice, and all those things. So I'm not expecting anyone who's never done any form of public speaking for their business to be doing this. To answer your question, if people think that they will forget, take your notes with you, put them, if there's a lectern, in most cases there will be a lectern, put them there, or in some cases, if they've got a projector and you wish to use PowerPoint slides or slides, digital slides, use them. That said, do not make the slides the center of attention. You, the speaker, should be the center of attention. People should be paying more attention to you and not the slides. And if you really feel that you will forget the speech, by all means, Take your notes with you because the last thing you want to do is go blank in front of an audience and you've got no reference for reference points to go back to. That's the last thing. And in most cases, people do expect speakers to bring notes or have PowerPoint slides up there. Now, if you are using PowerPoint slides or any form of digital slides, use them as a point of reference. Do not use them to give a presentation. Got it. Yeah, we all know about, about the death by PowerPoint and oh, cramming definitely. loads of text on and then just reading the text off the PowerPoint. <laughs> yes, Rina, it is death by PowerPoint times 10. I went to a conference. I had to MC a conference in Melbourne uh, January. I think it was mid-Jan or late-Jan. And there were a few speakers. And one guy came, and my goodness, 45 minutes. In that 45 minutes, he went through something like... Uh, 120 slides or something and he was going from one slide to the other not even looking at the audience and he's just looking at his computer while he's changing slides and saying look as that graph says blah 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 and I'm thinking man you are putting people to sleep so anyone who wants to use slides please 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 use them as a point of reference and when the slide is up point to the slide look at the audience and talk Quickly point to the slide, look at the slide, and point to and, and look at the audience. Because if you start talking to the slides, not the audience, yeah. people will lose you straight away. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I I quite enjoy having a, a bit of a PowerPoint exactly in the way you do. It's a kind of it's a bit of a visual aid for me. It's like yeah. oh yeah, now I know, and then I turn straight away to the audience. But also, I guess it's it's worth pointing out as well. Not to rely on that because anything oh. can happen, like the, the electricity could go or the yeah. machine could break. So yeah. you've got to have that kind of backup. And I love what you said about practicing it, like you, pr- you practice your, your talks for, for 30, uh, you know, 30 times before you deliver it. And that also it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly the same, no. like word for word. Like no, I know when I'm no, giving a no. talk, I know basically what I'm going to be talking about. But each time I deliver it, it's going to be 
you know, slightly different, you know, just the actual words that I use. And I suppose when you really know your topic, and I suppose that's another thing as well, is to make sure that, you know, you do know your topic so that, like you said, it becomes part of you. And then that can help get a, around the fear as well, because you know that even if you don't say what you plan to say in that order, you've still kind of got it there and you can recover. I know I've certainly, that's certainly helped me. Like I used to kind of, you know, take a note and almost read from a, a piece of paper when I first started doing public speaking. I look back now and cringe uh, because like you said, that's not the way to go, you know, looking at a piece of paper or like you said, looking at PowerPoints. And it is so much better. Like, and particularly when you kind of know your topic inside out, you know that if you go slightly off, you can bring yourself back. So, no, those are, are great tips. That's fantastic. I agree. Mm. Just sorry, Katrina, one more thing I'd like to just mention. Yeah. Now you, you know how you said that, you know, you practice and then when you go and deliver, it might not be the same word for word. If anyone is listening to this now and they are afraid that that might happen, please do not beat yourself up because every speech will be different. If you have crafted a speech and you are practicing 20 times, 10 times, when you deliver, I can guarantee you it will be very different from all the times that you have practiced. Do not beat yourself up as long as the main points of the speech and the message of the speech is similar or identical that shouldn't be a problem because as the old adage in public speaking or professional speaking goes, at the end of every speech you give, you are left with three speeches. The one you prepared, the one you gave, and the one you wish you gave. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, you talked earlier about, you touched on, say, for example, when you're working with corporate, obviously you're, you're being paid to speak. Now, let's talk about when you should speak for free and when it's best to ask for a, a fee. Because I know the speaking industry has changed quite a lot um, and there are even organisations that actually charge speakers to actually speak at their events, which was unheard mm. of many years ago. Mm. So what are your thoughts on when you should speak for free and when it's best to ask for a fee or even if and when it's okay to pay to speak in an event. What are your thoughts on that? It all comes down to the perceived value that you will bring to the table. And I get phone calls all the time, Katrina, people asking for a free speech. Like they will ask me or they will call me and say, look, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about you. One of our staff members saw you speak at this event. We'd really love to have you, but our budget is only X, Y, Z dollars. Is it possible for you to do that for us, please? Right. <laughs> and I'm laughing because I get those too. But. You get them too, <laughs> so you get them too. And there are people out there, and that is where. So look, let me answer your question in in bit by bit. So first question: When is it okay to ask for a fee? It depends on how much value you think you will bring to them. One. Second part of a uh, second part of the first question is: It depends on how much preparation you have to put into that speech, right? I was watching a motivational video by Usain Bolt, the world's fastest man, and somebody said to him, do you get nervous before a race like in the Olympics? And he said, this is the easiest part. And the guy said, why? He goes, what happens behind the scenes is the hard part, the training, waking up early and training and all those things, right? And that's what I say to people who want to have me at a very minimal fee or for free, I'll say, what you guys see is a one hour or half an hour speech. What you guys don't see is the number of days or weeks that it takes to perfect that one hour or half an hour fee, a speech, sorry. So when I'm asking for this amount, it's not for that one hour or half an hour, it's for all the time it'll take me to research, to develop, to craft, to practice, to perfect, to refine the speech. So if you are to ask people for money, first thing first, you want to give them value. Okay, you want, let me just put things in perspective. If somebody is paying you $1,000 for a half an hour speech, please do not go there and give them a $200 speech. You'll be doing injustice to yourself, to the organization, and to everyone who is sitting there. And my goal is this, every time, say for example, a company gives me $1,000 to come and speak for half an hour, right? My goal is to give them a $5,000 speech. That is my goal because I want them to walk away thinking, yes, we have to get him back next year for the same event, right? Mm, or yeah. I want them to think, you know what? We underpaid him. So next year we'll pay him. <laughs> you know what? So that is my goal. I go there and blow people away. That is my goal. So if you are to ask for a fee, 
be realistic with yourself and go, all right, am I worth this much? And do not undervalue yourself. Okay, how strong is your message? How much of an impact will you make? Let me give you an example. I gave a speech in April at the ATO, the Australian Taxation Office, at one of the Melbourne offices, and it was the Harmony Day, and they wanted me to come and talk about diversity in the workplace, right? And I think there were about 150 to 200 people there in, in the auditorium. And my goal was to give them a speech, give a speech so powerful that people won't forget. Two days later, I got, got an email from the organizer and he said, Ron, he goes, you won't believe this man, but even today, people are talking about your speech, 48 hours later. And I said, and I thought to myself, you know what, that is my mission, to go up there and get people to think about what I have said, not only straight away, but for a few days later. And here's the sad part, Katrina. Here's the really sad part. Research was done in America which shows that when people go to a seminar or hear a speech, for 24 hours they are pumped up. They hear the message, they walk away, and they go, yes, this is good, you know, I can do this. 48 hours later, 50% of that high or that pumped up feeling comes down. Mm-hmm. One week later, they're back to normal. Six months later, they don't even remember that they went to that seminar or that speech. Mm, that's sobering. Is, <laughs> it is sobering, yeah. And that's why you have, your, your message should be powerful. So if you are to ask for a fee, make sure your speech is worth every single dollar. Actually, make sure your speech is worth way more than what you're getting paid for. Mm. Two, if people are asking you to give a speech for free, be upfront in asking them, so what's in it for me? So let's just make this a fair transaction. What do I get in return? How can we work together? So, so actually, don't ask what do I get or what's in it for me. How can we work together to create a mutually beneficial relationship out of this? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. How can we work together to create a mutually beneficial relationship out of this in which we both walk away with something and the two words that I use is win-win. How can we create this into a win-win situation? And you put it back on them. You put it back on them. And I'm sure in most cases, they will come back with something that will be of benefit to you or to your business. Right. Now, they might say, look, we can't pay you, but what we'll do is we've got 50 people coming. So do you, is it okay if you put together a flyer and a business card and we'll leave that on every seat? So, say, say, for example, something like that, right? Yeah. So you've got exposure, warm leads, 50 people, right? And sometimes you can't put a price on that, especially if you are starting out in business. You need every bit of exposure. So if people ask you to give a presentation of fee for free, a speech for free, make sure you bring to them, to their attention, how can we create a win-win situation? Now, the third part of your question, if people are asking you to pay money to speak, well, they better have lots of value for you, okay? They better have lots of value for you. I got approached by a bloke maybe in February or March this year. He wanted to interview me for his radio station, right? And he said uh, it's a $395 plus GST investment. And I was shocked. What? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I was shocked. I was thinking to myself, I've never been asked to pay money. So I asked him, I said, so please tell me, how can we create a win-win situation? And he gave me this feel of uh, he's got uh, listeners all over the country and, you know, some numbers, how many people tune in and blah, blah, blah. And I openly said it to him. I said, mate, let's be blunt. This is not a win-win situation. In your opinion, it might be, but your win is higher than my win. I'm talking about meeting in the middle right? Meeting in the middle. And I just declined that offer. So if you get asked to pay money to speak, there better be strong value over there. There has to be strong value. And be upfront in asking them, how can we create an equal win-win situation from this? What do I get for my investment? What do I get for my investment? Because the bottom line is this, a lot of conferences and seminars where I have been approached to give a speech, these people are selling tickets to get people in the door and they are making big money, some of them, right? Yeah. They are making big money and speakers are their draw cards. They can put your credentials or your photo or a clip of you speaking and saying, guess what? Katrina Fox from Sydney will be our 
opening keynote speaker, followed by Ron Prasad from Melbourne, Australia. They are really, really influential in their fields. They are both very good communicators. You will learn blah, blah, blah from them. And imagine if Katrina and Ron have to pay money to teach these people. It's not fair. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. That's really important. I like what you said. I particularly like what you said about making it a win-win, but make sure the win is equal because you can have yeah. win-win, but like you say, one person's win can be a yeah. lot lot bigger than the others. So uh, I, I like that you've said that. That's really, really good advice. Thank you for that, Ron. Okay. Um, now, how important uh, – um, actually, no, before I, ask, I wanted to ask you that is – what about approaching um, people to speak? So say people are a fairly new speaker. So say they're a vegan or a plant-based business owner and they want to perhaps get into that kind of corporate sphere, you know, perhaps around corporate wellness, but they haven't really got a lot of experience. And I know that can be quite a difficult market to crack, uh, particularly at the beginning. So what advice do you have on how they could go about uh, approaching corporations or other organizations to actually get a speaking gig? So let's talk about corporate wellness, for example, and just because it's a pretty big industry, it's a very saturated industry at the moment. Let's just say that uh, I am a vegan fitness instructor and a vegan dietitian, and I'm approaching Katrina Fox, who is the HR manager of a multinational company, and she's got you know hundreds or thousands of staff members all across the country. Now, one thing that I have to keep in mind is that while I am teaching something to Katrina about what I can do for her staff, she's also getting phone calls, emails, letters, even videos from other people out there who want to help her staff. Now, these people could be mindfulness coaches, yoga instructors, laughter yoga instructors. So the point is this, what makes me stand out from the rest of the crowd? Okay, And, and if you are listening to this, podcast or webinar and you've got pen and paper, write this down. What is my point of difference or as they call in marketing, USP, unique selling proposition? What is your unique selling proposition? What makes you stand out from the crowd? That's the first thing you must answer with absolute clarity and you must be able to put that in words, simple words, if they ask you this thing. Because if I send an email or a letter and the HR manager gets back to me and says, okay, when's a good time for a phone call? And they call me and they'll say, look, so yeah, we are getting bombarded with phone calls and marketing material. So tell me, why should we hire you? Now, if you are not able to answer that question with absolute clarity, without any ums or ahs within 10 to 20 seconds, guess what? You've lost the business. Yeah. You have lost it. Yeah. Absolute clarity. Be able to quantify every single thing. And I think, Katrina, in your book, I've given a few examples of how to answer these type of questions. And uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't got the book, please get the book <laughs> and you'll be able to read it word for word. Yeah, you do. You're absolutely right. Yes, you've got some really good um, examples there for sure. Now, thanks, Ron. Now, that's, that's, um, that's really helpful because I know, like you say, it is a very crowded market and just trying to get your foot in the door is, is the tricky bit. Often it's a bit like media. Once you've actually got your foot in the door, yes. you, it then can sort of, you know, then it starts to be a bit word of mouth and referrals. But yes. just getting in the door can be the tricky one. So awesome. Very now, fun. how important are speaker kits and what should be included in them? Very, very important. A speaker kit is basically your business card as a speaker, as a speaker, because if you don't have a good speaker's kit, oh, sorry, what's included? Let's just start from, let's start from the start. What's included? It should be your bio. So who you are and what your credentials are as a speaker. It should be a good professional photo. Okay. It must be a professional photo or a good headshot like, like Katrina, the one you and I have. A good headshot, good smile, good clothes on, and a nice background, a really nice background. Not too much light on your face. It has to be a good photo, bio, and then some references or testimonials about what people have said about you. Now, if you are starting out and you don't have any, right? If you are starting out or you don't have any, don't put the references in there yet. Wait until you get a few references and put them there. You now, Katrina, I get asked this question a lot, right? Let's just say somebody has just started a business and they've only done three speaking gigs 
and somebody asks them, look, I'd love for you to come and present at this seminar. Can you send us references from the last two years? And this person's thinking, oh my God, I don't have <laughs> from the last two years because I've only started. One thing that was taught to me by one of the marketing experts, I did his course a while ago, and this is how you put it. Instead of saying, here are references from the last two years, here's what my last three satisfied clients have to say. And you put in three references. Now, these references could be a week old. Who cares? As long as you've said, here's what our recent three satisfied clients have to say. The word recent is key word because if they ask you for references for the past two years and all references are two years or 18 months old, the word recent is more powerful than something which is two years old. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's one way to get over it. So have that in your speaker's kit. If you want to take it one step further, put in a DVD which includes footage of you speaking. Okay? And in that DVD, at the start of that, make yourself a short video. And these days there are so many video editing software out there. You can get them for free. Just make a short video. Hello, my name is Ron Prasad. And the purpose of, and I hope you get to enjoy this DVD because in this, you will get to see how what we are doing can help your staff in overcome one, two, three, four, five steps. And at the end of this DVD, if you have any questions, please give us a call. So let them watch a short snippet of you speaking. And at the end, put another video. Thank you so much for your time in watching this. We sincerely appreciate your time. I hope you really like what you said. Now, what can we do for you? How can we serve your organization? Please let us know. Call us on one three hundred what number or mm. send us an email info at we are here for your support. Put it back on them. Mm, got it. Got it. Cool. And would you also put things like, say, your requirements as a speaker? So what kind of technological requirements you require or travel stuff? Do you know what I mean? Like they can kind of get quite big speakers. Get, so do you sort of start out small and then as you get more experience, you start to add these things like riders, for example? Oh, yeah, I, start, I would start off small. I would start off small. And, and the good thing about the speaking industry is that most organizations or event managers, they know all these things. So let me give you an example. I got an email for a speaking gig, uh, I think it was in February, and it was just one simple inquiry. We are having this, uh, this event on this day, and would you be available to give a speech? Now, there's an old adage in marketing, Katrina, and you probably know this better than me, which says scarcity creates demand, okay? Mm. Scarcity creates demand. And I have to make myself scarce. So if you are after me, you have to do something that will prove to me that, yes, I will come and speak for you or I will do this for you. Because if you instantly say, yes, I'm free, what can I do for you, what time, they'll be like, okay, this person's got too much time on their hand. Maybe we should look for somebody who's a lot busier and is a lot more productive. So whenever I get asked to give a speech, I have got a series of questions which I ask them. One, for which organization? Two, what's the end goal? What's the purpose of having a speaker here? And a lot of speakers out there don't ask this. So what is the purpose of having a speaker there? Three, how many people are you expecting? Four, what type of room would it be it in? Natural lighting, artificial lighting, how big is the stage, what type of microphones do you have, and then you continue. So I don't put any of that in a speaker's kit. I prefer to talk to people face-to-face -face on the phone or via email to get clarity on those things. And get this, Katrina, every time I respond in that way, people are more and more interested in me. Yeah, because it's another touch point for you to actually communicate with them. I like that. That's smart because I've seen those speaker kits where people have got all these, you know, massive requirements and everything. And I guess maybe, you know, at a certain level, maybe that that's helpful, whatever. But I think certainly what you're saying when people are sort of at the beginning or, you know, kind of just starting out on their speaking career, that's a, a really good advice. Now, um, so I know we're I'm conscious of time. We've given some fantastic um, tips. Now, I know you mentioned my book, so I'm going to mention yours now, of course. Um, so you've authored a fantastic person personal development book, which I thoroughly enjoy, called Welcome to Your Life. Now, this is another very crowded market, you know, the whole kind of personal development, yeah. is particularly to be an author. So can you t tell us a little bit, Ron, about how your book came about and why you decided to write it? 
I was always good at writing and my English teachers in school always commended on uh, my use of the English language or my command of the English language and they always said you're a very powerful writer. So writing a book was something that was in the subconscious, in my subconscious mind, yet I never paid much attention to it. And then I started my coaching certification in 2007, 2008 when I finished, I started coaching people. About two years later, one of my friends who was a counselor at the time, so I was a coach, she was a counselor, we'd always run things by each other, you know, my life coaching clients, I would tell her about them and how get some input from her and vice versa. And she said to me, she said, look, you write really good articles on personal development. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And funny enough, this was 2010. In about 2009, I had gone to a book writing seminar. It was a two-day seminar on the weekend about how to write a book. And that seminar focused a lot on marketing because, as you know, Katrina, writing the book is the easy part. Marketing the book is the hard part. So I started thinking in 2010 when my friend said that, I'm like, you know what? She's got a good point. I love writing and I'm going to put something together that will help people. So this is the way I created this book. It's more like a toolkit, not just a book, because it's very interactive. I've got questions all over the book. And I thought, you know, if I can create something that will help people ask questions of themselves and do some inner reflection and then make productive changes in their lives, that would be a legacy that I could leave behind. And when I wrote the book, I thought, you know, this is not about me. So I started giving 10% of royalties from the book to my charity of choice, which is Edgar's Mission Animal Sanctuary in Victoria. Wonderful. And uh, I gave about 10% of my royalties till about three years ago, and then I had a big change of heart. I said, you know what, 10% is not enough. I'm going to give 50%. I started giving oh, 50%. And a year later, I said, you know, 50% is not enough. I'm going to give it all. So all the royalties are going to Edgar's mission now. Oh, that's wonderful. And it, I like that you, interesting you've said that, Ron, because often I think when people write a book, they think, oh, I'm going to get rich off the royalties. But as you and I probably know, oh. it's more the business card is, uh, the, the book is oh. almost becomes more like a business card. So can you tell us a little bit about how having the book, um, actually, how has it benefited your business? Good point, Katrina. That's a very good point. I mean, the royalties will not make you rich unless, unless your name happens to be E.L. James or J.K. Or JK Rowling. Rowling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, then you are talking the big league, and if you want to write those type of books, you know, then that's good luck to you. But royalties, it's very, very hard. Even if you get a deal from a major publisher, the royalties won't be much. The best thing, like you said, is to use your book as a business card. And the word, having that title, author, next to your name, that gives you so much credibility. Now, I don't have the exact statistics next to me right now. But it's something like only 2% of the population in Western society will ever write a book. So by writing a book, you are putting yourself ahead of 98% of the population, right? And if you write a book, you get that credential as an author. And I was listening to Katrina because I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts and webinars where experts from all over the world give tips on marketing and business. And one gentleman said, I think it was in 2012 when I heard this, he said that in America, and I'm sure it's the same story here, this day and age, credential outweighs qualification, right? I'll say that again, credential outweighs qualification. And he gave an example. He said, look, if an organization is looking for a coach to come in and do one-on-one work with their staff, and they've got two people pitching, for that business. Now, all else being equal, one person has got a master's in some field and the other person has got two best-selling books next to his name. (laughs) He goes, 99% of the time, the person with the two best-selling books next to his name will get that job. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So credential is very important and having that title, you've written a book, it's just priceless. It's It's 
we both know it's an experience of a lifetime. It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of hard work. It is, it is, but it's definitely worth it. Now, I know you, you just to wrap up a little bit, I know you talked, you touched on marketing there. One of the key things I noticed about your book, you got a lot of testimonials from really yeah. quite high profile people in the personal development sector. There was people like Bob Proctor, who is the author and teacher of the movie The Secret. How did you go about getting those testimonials and what tips can you offer for people on how to approach people? people um, particularly if they are higher profile for testimonials for a book or a product that's a very insightful question katrina and, and, and to people who are listening to this if you have haven't been paying attention to this please pay attention to this now <laughs> because this is very important now i was very fortunate katrina as you said that uh, how many one two three people from the movie the secret wrote testimonials for my book there was bob proctor dr john d martini and laurel langmire right uh-huh. And I was very, very, very fortunate. And I also got uh, a billionaire, Bill Bartman, to write a testimonial for my book too. So I was very fortunate. Now, in my case, I was lucky. I was very lucky because my publisher knew people who worked for all these big names, right? So for him, it was just a matter of me getting something in writing which he could forward onto his contacts and getting them to write. So if you are approaching somebody to write a testimonial or write a forward for your book, that's even more important. The one thing that you must, absolutely must keep in mind is this. When they read this, the first question that's going to come into their mind is, what's in it for me? Yes. Because let's put things in perspective. These people are super busy. Now, there was one more teacher in the secret, and I won't name him, obviously. I approached him, and his secretary replied and said, look, Mr. Mr. XYZ gets these requests every single day, and just to, you know, as a process of elimination, he asks for $5,000 US in advance just to look. Wow. Just look at your proposal, because he's so busy, right? He's so busy. So just to eliminate you from the crowd, 5,000 US. And at that time, I was working part-time and studying part-time. And I just said, look, thank you so much, but I'm not in a position. If things change, I will let you know. So when you approach all these people, you must, absolutely must give them something. So when I approached Bob Proctor, I openly wrote in that letter, dear Mr. Proctor, you have been the single biggest influence in my life when it comes to personal development. I listened to your CD called The Winner's Image, or sorry, the first one I listened to was Attitude in 2003, and I was so hooked by it that I listened to the same CD four times within 24 hours. (laughs) That's the impact you had on me. And when you came to Melbourne, Australia in May 2007, I was there, and in my case, I took a photo with him, which I sent it in that email. He's a photo of us. Thank you so much. Now, Mr. Proctor, I'm writing a book. And this is this book is largely influenced by you. I would love it if you could write a testimonial. And now, Katrina, here's one piece of advice I'm going to give, which is worth its weight in gold. And my publisher gave me this. Never, ever ask people to write a testimonial. Give them testimonials that they can choose from. Okay? Ah, uh, yes. Give yes. them testimonials they yes. can choose from. So, Mr. in my case, Mr. Proctor, I would love for you to write a few words that I could include in the back cover of my book. And to, I know you are so busy right now, I realize that you are traveling interstate overseas all the time. To make life easier for you, below are three testimonials that are pre-written. If you could choose one of those, that would be great. If you wish to modify one of those, that's okay. If you wish to write your own, I'd be happy. Whatever suits you best, I'm happy with that. Yeah, that's such and good I, advice. Yeah. yeah, because people are so stretched for time, Katrina. I, I have written a forward for about two or three books so far. And it takes a lot of time. Absolutely, yeah. And I've had people approach me a similar as well. Someone wanted me to do a testimonial for a course that they'd done, and they actually kind of pre-wrote it. And yes. it was really cool. And I think I just tinkered with it ever so slightly, and it was just so easy. Like, it was a win. Because sometimes you think, oh, well, it's only like a sentence. But, no. you know, sometimes the, the the shorter an article or the shorter a piece of writing, the longer it can actually take to put it together because you've got the limited uh, words. So I think that's really handy to, to say that so when you're approaching someone don't just think oh yeah it won't take them long just to knock out a couple of sentences make it easy i think that's a wonderful uh uh, tip ron thank you very much yes 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 that was 
that tip was given to me by my uh, publisher, <laughs> Baby Pie Publishing in America, and the guy's name is Keith Leon. And that's something that I've shared with many, many people who are thinking of writing a book. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Ron, you've been incredibly generous. I'm conscious that we are, we've really gotten into it with time-wise. So um, I think we'll wrap it up there because you've given so much um, information, particularly around the speaking and, um, and just then with the books for people to, like you say, really get out there. Particularly we need more ethical and vegan business yeah. owners and entrepreneurs, like you say, to, to get out there and take the stages because, you know, if they don't, you know, if we don't, other people will. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that's really wonderful. It's always a pleasure to hear you speak and to speak with you. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Ron. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Katrina. Much love. All the best. Bye. So that was Ron Prasad from Impetus Success. You can find out more at impetussuccess.com.au. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 72. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Pinterest users saved 52% more vegan recipes and 88% more dairy-free recipes year-on-year, reports Adweek. The social media platform has updated its visual discovery tool, Lens, to allow users who conducted nearly 5 billion saves and searches related to food and drink in 2016 to search for dietary preferences, ingredients and full dishes, as well as how long a dish takes to cook. Pinterest also announced that it's added star ratings to recipe pins and made it easier for users to see tips and photos from other users who followed those recipes and prepared those dishes. So this is useful intel if you're in the plant-based food space and of course it's great that more people are continuing to search for vegan recipes. 3D printed vegan cheese is set to hit the shelves, reports Veg News. Perfect Day Foods founders Perumal Gandhi and Ryan Pandya, both biomedical engineers based in Silicon Valley, are taking an innovative approach to creating vegan dairy products. The products begin with a yeast strain called Buttercup that they inoculate with 3D printed DNA that mimics the proteins found in cow's milk. Now once the substance is fermented, it's treated with plant-based fats and nutrients to create vegan whey and casein. The company, which was founded in 2014, plans to launch its first product, which is likely to be either a vegan cheese or a milk alternative, by the end of this year, which is 2017. Beam me up, Scotty. (laughs) I know I've probably said that before on this podcast when I've reported on other 3D printed foods such as vegan gummy bears. It really is fascinating how these biotech companies are coming up with vegan versions of animal products. And I can't quite get my head around 3D printed cheese, but hey, if it helps to bring the cruel dairy industry to an end, I'm all for it. The global substitute meats market will be worth $4 billion this year, that's 2017, according to business intelligence firm VisionGain. Its Meat Substitutes Market Report 2017-2027 to includes forecasts for textured vegetable protein, TVP, mycoprotein, which is corn, pea protein, tofu, tempeh, seitan, and other free-from, meat-free analogues and alternatives, plus an analysis of companies that produce these products, including Pinnacle Foods, MGP Ingredients, Monde Nissin, Kellogg Company, Hain Celestial, Beyond Meat, Amy's Kitchen, Blue Chip Group, Atlantic Natural Foods and Fry Group Foods. Along with free from and health and wellness trends, a growing global population is a key driver in the increase in meat substitutes, with plant-based proteins viewed as being more sustainable to develop than animal-based meats. Vision Gain notes that while the market for meat substitutes is small at the moment, the industry will exhibit significant growth in the next 10 years, providing excellent commercial opportunities. So this is yet another report to add to the growing list, demonstrating that plant-based foods really are the future. 
And this is certainly an exciting sector to be in. Finally, another eatery in Sydney, Australia has taken animal products off the menu. Bad Hombres, a Mexican and Latin American restaurant in the inner city suburb of Surrey Hills, launched its all-vegan menu on 24th of May, that's 2017 if you're listening in the future, reports Broadsheet. This is just two months after the restaurant opened in March with a menu that was already 60% plant-based. Owner Sean McManus said he made the decision to fill a hole in the market to become the first Mexican and Latin American plant-based restaurant in the city. Bad Hombres joins pizzeria Gigi's and burger company Solberger, which both hit the headlines in 2015 after they decided to ditch animal products completely. This is fantastic news. I'm so excited because I live near Surrey Hills and I love Mexican food. So I'll definitely be checking this place out very soon. It's brilliant to see more restaurants getting that vegan is the way to go. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.